for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. Contrary to popular belief, we have not exhausted the well of the tremendous class of 1995. And we have a very special guest today. That will be Mr. Tony Renda. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. I'm very happy to be here. So I'll start with you where I start with everybody. Tell me how you found out about Syracuse and then how you found out about the radio station. Well, uh, well first off, I think we need to pause. I think we need to recognize what you have going on here. What you've created here with this podcast, with all these episodes, is really epic. This is going to be... Thank you. You know, in sci-fi movies when they go to the, the magic hard drive in the future where all information is, this podcast <laughs> is going to be there. 300 years from now and 500 years from now, you will be documented. It'll be transcribed. They'll extract us. They'll make us AI. They'll animate you, the studio that you're in, <laughs> and you will live all forever. I mean, I think that you are a fundamental and foundational part of JPC, not just Hall of Fame, but this is like Rick Wright stuff. Oh, come on. This is like founder stuff. I'm telling you, you really have done something awesome here. I know everybody says that, but really this will last forever. So my hat's off to you. From someone of your stature, that is very high praise, Tony, and thank you very much. <laughs> That's great. I'm like five foot eight. Let's turn to you and your story. Getting to Syracuse and then JPZ. Only like two minutes into the podcast, I have to mention that other Tony Renda. Yes. And my dad went to Syracuse. And so when we were kids, we were aware of this. We appreciated Big East basketball. Uh, they were fun to watch. Pitt was in the Big East. So uh, Sir, I played lacrosse in high school and Syracuse was, was like a juggernaut in the 80s. So we were aware of what Syracuse was. Uh, there was this great school up there that it was cold, <laughs> uh, that they had a great communication school. And I really always wanted to go there. But John, I was a late bloomer and I never really took my high school grades seriously. Uh, in fact, I probably did the opposite. And I don't think I really figured things out until probably my senior year. And I never even applied to Syracuse Okay, in my senior year. I ended up going to Ohio University, which had a great communication school, which I loved. I had a great fun time there. But uh, I always wanted to go to the Cues. I wanted to be closer to New York. I wanted to live in Manhattan or New York at some time in my career. And I thought that that would be a great path to it. So somewhere when I started in OU, I immediately uh, set about trying to get to Syracuse. Uh, and I did. I eventually spent my sophomore, junior, and senior years there. So I backed my way in. I was not a new house, by the way. I always try to bring that up when people assume that. I was in the School of Management. I have a great deal of respect for new house. I, in fact, so much so that I qualify it. So yeah, I would have had to spend a lot, I think a whole another year to build up the credits I would have had to spend more time at Syracuse, put in way more time to get those credits just to get into New House because they wouldn't just let you transfer right in. But I went to school of management and I tried to extract as much as I could from those classes. I mean, lots of great business classes and finance classes and operational management classes and things that I knew I was going to use later on versus uh, some of the board op stuff that I already knew. Right. From working for your dad at these radio stations. Did your dad's position as an owner of radio stations influence your decision to go into the management piece of it for a major? Greatly. Big time. First off, a little bit more history about my old man. 
he was a general sales manager for a TV station for the NBC affiliate in Pittsburgh, which in the 60s when he started was, was TV market number six. Mm-hmm. Big station, big market. Anyway, he got canned. He got fired in uh, about 1973 or two or three. And he said, I'm going to strike out on my own and I'm going to buy a little radio station. So he bought a little radio station outside of Pittsburgh, 5,000 watt daytime or 5,000 watt AM. At 1360 on the dial. Witsy 1360. Okay. Uh, 5,000 in the day, 1,000 at night, and he slugged it out. And as a kid, I mean, that's the life that I lived. I remember going to the station all the time. I remember sitting in the studios. I remember uh, letting these guys, putting me down in the production studio, allowing me to mess around and making mixtapes and hitting posts and dubbing doing everything you can imagine, splicing tapes at a radio station. I remember road trips. Uh, he would bust out across the dial. John, have you ever heard of across the dial? Are you aware of this? It rings a bell. That's a no, which is the right answer for someone your <laughs> age. Okay. Okay. Across the dial. Someone's listening to this right now and they know what across the dial is, but it was part of every road trip. We took the great uh, American family road trip often, it seemed. And across the dial was this glove compartment sized book and it had every market and in every market it listed the station the frequency and the format so he was an obsessed radio guy hey i wonder what this chr sounds like or i've heard of this station in raleigh north carolina or we're going to go down to florida so i'm going to listen to this station and this station along the way so the break was way more important than the song of course yep he would bring back little things that he would you know challenges he was dealing with at work so Yes, we got a lot of experience. When I was a kid, one, one other thing, I, I remember when I got my license, I started board hopping like, I swear, it was like the first week I got my license. Nice. So I had all of this random experience sitting in the studio for hours. I got to know all the equipment. I had all of this random experience listening to large market or major market, whatever you call it, jocks just sitting there and watching these guys. Uh, you know, behind the scenes at concerts, I got all this exposure that I don't think most of the kids that were at Syracuse, I don't think that they had that. And I don't even think I told them that I had that because I didn't think that it necessarily applied. But I was schooled in that world from a very young age. And I especially had an appreciation for what went on in the studio and how a radio station should sound and how good it could sound in the way it should sound. Before you continue... I do want to mention, so because one of the themes of the podcast has been the same story repeating itself in different variations over the years, two things you're reminding me of from my own personal life. So you mentioned the Across the Dial book. Back when I was at school, there was a new website called radiolocator.com. Mm-hmm. That was the internet version of that. You were going to go to a different city, you punch in the city, and it'll tell you, you know, strength of signal, who owns it, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And I do have to give a shout out to Emily Zizza Almas from the class of 2000, because you're giving me a chance to tell a story I've been dying to tell on the podcast. Fire away. She was from Somerville, Massachusetts, a couple towns over from me. And before I had a car on campus, she was two years older than me. She was gracious enough to give me a ride home back and forth for breaks. And so we became great friends and she didn't have a cassette player in her car. We only had the radio. So we would drive Syracuse, Utica, Albany, Springfield, Worcester, Boston, across I-90. And no matter what we were saying at the top of the hour, I'd make everybody in the car shut up so we could hear the legal ID of whatever station we were at in whatever market we were in. Yes, absolutely. 
I remember, you know, you learn this as a kid. You're like, oh, well, okay, this is the top of the hour. Uh, let's, let's listen in because you're just as interested. Yeah. And it wasn't like we sat down and were told, like, this is a radio station. It just was an osmosis of information. And keep in mind, this is a struggling guy with one little AM station. And so, you know, it's survival time. We are eating trade most nights. <laughs> we were living radio out of a little radio station in East McKeesport, Pennsylvania, not downtown Pittsburgh, not Gateway Center, not Foster Plaza, where these massive stations are and everyone has gotten all together. It was rough, but it was great. It was a great education. You're your only child. You have siblings. Uh, yeah, I have an older sister and an older brother. So we were all schooled in this world. But your question was how JPZ? Yes. When I transferred, I was in a fraternity so I carried it over to, to Syracuse and one of my fraternity brothers was Scott Taylor. Okay. And Taylor, I think that the time was VP business. So if I recall, I didn't make it down to the station until the middle of my sophomore year, that first year that I was there. And Scott brought me down to the station and it was, uh, I can't describe it. I'm sure a lot of people had the same feeling. It was like, yup, <laughs> I get this. I love this. I mean- you know, you walk in and what you kids don't know today is, you know, there's <laughs> uh, the whole thing is bump it's a hallway. Yep. It's just bumper stickers from all across the country. Bumper stickers, some of them that I recognized. It was like 10 degrees hotter than it should have been. Yep. And the one thing that I remember, but yet don't remember, it's fuzzy, is whoever the jock was, it could have been, in my mind, it's Governor D. But it could have been Damien, it could have been Ed Brundage, it could have been Dion, I don't know who it was. But whoever it was, the door was open and they came out of a song and they just crushed the break. <laughs> it was high energy. They nailed the post, like as professional as I had ever heard on B94 or 96 Kicks or DVE, you know, or any... Yep professional CHRO, AOR station in Pittsburgh. It was high energy. It was with swagger, John. Yes. It was with confidence. And I'm like, that's a college kid. And I've seen, you know, hours and hours of jocks do breaks and shifts. And I'm like, look at that. <laughs> I was just stunned. And quite simultaneously, 10 feet away, were a bunch of nerds talking about the news and talking about the Daily Orange and had a laser-like focus on delivering the news in a professional manner and delivering the news in only that delivery that news has. And they were so good. I could tell just from there. I'm like, I know that voice. I know that delivery. I know what they're talking about. And I, I see them sizing up some particular situation. And then Five feet away from them were a bunch of sports guys, yep. like talking about the Rangers. You know, these are all Syracuse, you know, Syracuse in New York or Jersey or Long Island guys talking about the Islanders and talking about the Yankees and talking about orange women throwing around a Nerf ball. And, uh, you know, they're all talking a little bit like Marv Albert and there's a little bit of Bob Costas in there. And it was this not land of misfit toys, but these very different personalities and different ages, it seemed like. Uh, I was listening to McNaughton's podcast recently, and I think he mentioned it was Dave Gorham, I think, who was, he said, I, I feel like that guy's 40 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when he said that, I couldn't help but laugh out loud because uh, Friedman was that guy for me. Okay. I'm like, that dude is wise. I don't know anything about that guy, but he's wise. He's a, a mature individual. And uh, he was one of those news guys, and he was in control of his news department. It was great. 
and McNaughton and Mike Murphy were in the sports department just having a blast. And I wanted to be a part of that. In my own way, I did not want to be behind the mic. I wanted to apply what my goal was, which was to run and operate a radio station. And it wasn't behind the mic and it wasn't exactly what everybody else was doing. But I know I wanted to surround myself with this crew because they were crushing it. And uh, they blew me away. It, it was great. I'm so glad that Scott E.T. took me down there in probably February or March of 93 because uh, I ran for uh, development director and I got it. And then in fast fashion that summer, they're like, listen, we need a VP business, but that person needs to stay up here for the summer. And I was like, done. Nice. Done, done and done. And, and spent one of the most fun summers ever up there. It's so funny that you're telling me that your interest was the author, the operational and the business piece of it, Tony, because <laughs> you're doing such a job of painting a picture right now. When you walk into that radio station, you are a professional broadcaster. And to hear the skill of you telling a story, yet simultaneously telling me you didn't want to be on the air, you want to do other stuff is funny to me. Well, that's kind of you, but I have a true appreciation, like I said, for how things should sound, how things should look. My number one passion is the marketing of it all and making a great presentation. And maybe I just walked in at, at the best break ever, but I don't think so. I mean, most breaks that I heard were that good. Yeah. But whoever that jock was, uh, again, it could have been Ed, could have been Damien, could have been Dion, anybody. Man, they nailed it. And I was like, ah, this is right on. This is top pro level. And uh, man, I got to be here. So yeah, that was my introduction and the timing was great. So I was elated to be there. So yeah. And I jumped in, like I said, with both feet, development director, and then immediately VP business where I spent the summer with Betty Keston and Carl Weiser and Jeff Dollar and everybody else that was up there that summer. It was a blast. What were some of the stuff you, your memories you have of stuff you worked on in both a uh, development director and VP of business? Anything you come to mind that specifically happened while you were at the station, Tony? Oh, of course. I think the thing that most people will remember was the Geo Tracker. Yes. That we gave away. And- I think they had given away a car the prior year, and I remember saying, hey, Dad, listen, um, let's talk about doing something big at this radio station. You know, give me some advice. And, you know, I think he thought we were a college station. I don't think that he even understood what the heck we had going on. And I was like, no, 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 let's give away a car. And he's like, what? (laughs) Okay, good luck. And here's what we do at a normal radio station. We give away a car. So I put on my big boy pants, and I don't remember whether I went in here with Raffensperger my GM, or Tim McCubrey, who was my uh, the summer general manager. I think it was Raph. I think Raph and I. If you were going to buy a car, John, in Syracuse, New York, in the mid-90s, you got to go to the Fusillo Auto Mall. Oh, yes. So uh, scared to death, I grabbed Ryan. I'm like, we're going to go trade a car right now. We're going to go. <laughs> we're going to go into the lion's den. And this guy who's on TV, who is bigger than life, we're going to go in and pitch him. Huge, you might say. Huge. So uh, we did. I don't know if I had an appointment or not. I don't think so. I remember walking in and asking to see Mr. Fusillo. And we came into his office, big, massive desk. And it was exactly like you would imagine it. And we got a little bit of the guy on TV and a little bit of the real guy. And I remember shaking his hand and my hand disappeared in this meaty paw <laughs> of, a, of a thing. And, you know, I did the math. I went back. Fusillo at that time in the 90s, he was only 37. But in my brain and I think everybody else, 
he was way older. He was like a 50-year-old yeah. grown man, but he was a 37-year-old, which is a kid. But this guy was successful. And John, we sat down there and I said, Mr. Fuseau, my name is Tony Renda. And uh, we work at Z89, WJPZ. He's like, WJPZ? I've never heard of that radio station. What are you guys talking about? Oh. I mean, it was the gauntlet. I was like, well, uh, we're at a Syracuse station. And uh, I know, where are you on the dial? We're at 89.1. 89.1? I don't even think my radio station goes to 89.1. Oh, no. Oh, Mr. Fusilla, no, no, we're, we're really big with the college kids. And I think what we'd like to do is we could promote the Fusilla Automobile because you're on the thing. And, you know, it has to be non-commercial, non-commercial. And, you know, you've seen my commercials, right? Yes. But, and John, the whole time he was just, it was always with a wink and a smile. He was always, I felt like we were going down the right path and he was always in a weird way, helping us out, but making us jump through a hoop or two. So he's asking, I've never heard of you guys, but it's kind of tongue in cheek because he knows who you guys are at that time. I'd like to think that he knows who we are. Maybe. But I do know this. I know you're sitting across from someone and you know, based on the questions that they're asking you, that things are going right or things are going wrong. Okay. And I could tell they were going right because... He wasn't being a jerk. He was kind of being kind. He was just kind of poking at us. Okay. He was like a cat playing with the mouse because he was almost asking us the questions that we should have been answering and pushing. What are you going to do with this car? Okay. And let's say I trade this car with you. What are you going to give me? Yeah. These are buying questions. So I got to say that this guy was kind and he did this trade deal with us. He didn't rake us over the coals. He gave us a, it was probably a 92 or 93 Barney Purple <laughs> Geo Tracker. And when I say Barney Purple, I mean the guys, Barney probably didn't exist. They probably saw this Chevy Geo Tracker that they probably could not unload on the lot. And they're like, <laughs> that's the color that we want to make our dinosaur. That bright purple pink hued car, manual no less. I'm surprised it was actually on the road. But yes, we did the deal for the Geo Tracker. And brought it home, and I felt like a conquering hero. And Jordan had put together the Summer Slammer Jam, yep. which was massive. It gave us such gravitas, I thought, in the summer of 93. And it made that summer awesome. We sold packages into that car. We ended up giving away to a person who was not perfectly in our demo, but it was fine. It went off without a hitch. Who won? This lady was like, in my mind, she was like... 50, 55 years old. Okay. And, you know, we wanted a youthful person, you know, in the 18 to maybe 24, 18 to 34 demo who was exciting. And But it was fine. And we had sold little packages to, to people to sign up and win for it. We had a cool cell phone. We had a big bag phone. It was a great summer, John. So when you talk about significant events in station history, I always super proud of that. And uh, Mr. Fusillo got his spots, you know, we got the car and then we gave it away. It was a fun time and it was it made for a great summer. And I, I loved being a part of that crew during the Summer Slammer Jam. What a fun summer. And to see other colleges, talk about other college radio and say that we're giving away cars yeah. was, uh, again, I was now enjoying part of that swagger amongst other college radio stations. So that was great, man. Happy to be part of that. And I'm happy to have you part of this podcast because, yes, the geo tracker that the station gave away has come up many times in the podcast, but we've, until now, have never heard the story of going into Billy Fusillo's office. So I love that that story is now part of the JPZ lore you mentioned earlier. It's WJPZ.
at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. Any other lessons, Tony, that come to mind that you haven't already mentioned that you took with you from your time at JPZ? When I was thinking about this, I tried to think about all the great people that I worked with and what made them so great or why I consider them so great. Sure. And, and it goes back to that first you know, time when I walked in the door. There were a wide spectrum of personalities, a wide spectrum of talents, but the unifying factor was that they were all passionate about what they did and they were good at what they did and that it was a labor of love, right? No one was making money. Yeah. Maybe we were looking to build up a resume or a demo tape to make money down the road. But I mean, you can't logically explain the hours that I put in, that you put in, yeah. that you're putting in now. It was that passion for what they do. And I think I'd probably look for that now, most of all, if I'm interviewing someone for a job, I ask them about you know the last few jobs and what they did. And I want to see them discuss or, or interact something that they love doing. We all love doing what we were doing. And again, getting not a dime for it. I remember my grades were mediocre in probably my junior and senior year. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm getting all this great experience at Z89. And my old man said, time out, time out. <laughs> you want a job on radio? You could be a salesperson tomorrow right here. I'll give you a job. I might even give you a job and you can get paid for it. Instead, you know, you've got this opportunity at the university. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. And so my classes suffered, but I felt like I was getting a much different education there. And so when I looked around of the people that I worked with, I've tried to replicate it as best I can. I've tried to surround myself and work with people that had that same passion. And it's tough. I got to say, it was the purest, most genuine love of what you were doing that I've ever experienced. And I'm sure people, if you think about it, I'm sure other people feel the same way. Uh, when I think about, I mentioned Friedman, uh, who, again, was just was so wise, so good at what he did. I remember that summer, Dollar and Carl Weiser and Betty Keston just crushed the crazy morning crew. I, I remember they'd have to get up at stupid hours in the morning. Yeah. A lot. I mentioned Jordan Gualyumi, the hours that that guy put in uh, to growing the radio station, to selling those packages that we had, to making the station look and sound good. And he had a foot in both camps. You know, he was also on the air. Mm -hmm. It was great. Uh, niece, uh, Jen, niece, uh, everybody that I was lucky to work with, uh, I just had passion. And I'm trying to keep that going and surround myself with those same people. Oh, it was great. What you said is a very valuable lesson for students and younger alumni listening to this for a job interview. What you said is very telling when you said that you look for that passion. When some, oh, Tell me what the last couple of jobs you had. Tell me where you've been. Tell me what some of the stuff you've done. If you don't have that passion, if you kind of like rattle off your resume, you know, well, yeah, I worked at this radio station and then I, I did sales here and I did the Like that's going to come off in a job interview. So having that passion is such an invaluable skill for a job interview, yet another lesson learned from an alum of the world's greatest media classroom. When I think about who's listening to this podcast, it's going to be mostly graduates. Sure. But I hope that some of the new kids are absolutely listening. But yeah, that goes a long way. You know, talent is talent. 
but I don't think that you make it in the NBA with all the talent in the world. There has to be a hard work. I don't think you make it in the NFL without that passion. And I'd rather have, if I had to pick one, I'd rather take that passion because that's going to overcome so many obstacles. It's going to keep you going. So not that I'm pushing for any kind of life lesson, but I hope that if you're listening to this, you're doing something that you're still passionate about. I don't know if you can replicate what we all had in college, but it makes the road much easier. You know, you got a tailwind instead of a headwind and try to replicate that as best you can. Let's pivot to your career after Syracuse, Tony. Walk me through some of the stuff you've done since graduation. My career, it's quick and linear and easy. I've taken a pretty, like I said, linear path. I graduated in 95 and Lynn Vanderhoek, I want to make sure to mention her name. She is such a friend of the station. I know so many people have had great help with her, right? Myself included. Yeah. I mean, what a great, genuine person. I, I can't say enough stuff about her. Lil O'Rourke too. But yeah, she helped me craft my resume, helped uh, send me in the right path. When I graduated, no, not when I graduated, my spring break of my senior year, uh, I remember I had internships at 93Q, I had internships at 95X. And I remember my spring break was coming up and like, what are you going to do in your spring break? And these are grown men, these are adults. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go interview. They're like, you're going to do what? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to Atlanta and I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to go here and there and I'm going to interview and I'm going to get a job in radio. And thanks to JPZ, thanks to this place, I had options. I went down to Atlanta and I interviewed everywhere at ABC and I I, I interviewed it. All those big boys down there, Kicks and Y, I think. Yeah, I mean, Star, Mm -hmm. CBS, Infinity at the time. And it was great. I, I mean, it was because of JPZ. I had lots of options thanks to this radio station. So I made some kind of sea change between my high school career and by the time I graduated. And Z was a big part of that. I felt like I needed to be as good as my contemporaries because when I walked in the door, I was not. And so I tried to elevate my game. My resume was awesome. It was perfect. I spent so much damn time on that thing. You know, <laughs> I didn't rule. I, I could walk in and shake a hand and and I have a conversation. And so, yeah, so I interviewed all across these places that I wanted to go. Atlanta was hot because um, the Olympics were coming in 96. My girlfriend went to UGA. Yeah. And so uh, I, it, it just seemed like that was the destination. But I ended up, uh, again, Scott Taylor, I ended up going uh, working for Cats Radio. You know, there it's kind of been a channel down there. Dave Gorab went down there. Scott Taylor went down there. And a couple of people that I graduated with uh, went down. And yeah, so I became a rep at Cats. I was in New York for five years. I left in 2000 and went to run. I was a sales manager in Jacksonville, then the general manager up to Pittsburgh, general manager. And now I'm in beautiful Southwest Florida for Buyers Naples running that market. So I've been working with Renda Broadcasting ever since probably 2001 in Jacksonville and love it. I'm a VP and our radio group is now 19 stations strong. You know, it started with one little AM station, but my old man really was put through the fire. Surviving that one little AM in the 70s with stupid interest rates and and steel mills closing down. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, he applied all of that blood, sweat and tears to, you know, eventually buying a, a full signal station in the mid 80s and applying those same scrappy tactics and he has applied it ever since. So I'm happy to work for that guy. He is good at running radio stations and he's done 
something really unique. So I'm happy to be a part of his company. What markets is Render Broadcasting in now? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. In fact, we should probably take a break. Render Broadcasting is, uh, uh, no, uh, we are, uh, we have stations. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Render Broadcasting. <laughs> uh, in fact, use promo code uh, Z for 10%. <laughs> Being the on the sales side, I have to get a plug. John, you know, we are always looking for Z grads either on air, in the sales world, in any capacity, check out rentabroadcasting.com for uh, any of our job postings. I would love to hire any and all Z alum. I'm a big fan. So we have stations in Pittsburgh, in Jacksonville, in Southwest Florida, like I mentioned, for Myers Naples. And we have stations, uh, don't forget, in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which is uh, uh, northeast of Pittsburgh, um, home of Jimmy Stewart, and uh, Greensburg, Pennsylvania. And most importantly, John, we have stations in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Yes. To all of those listeners who have not seen uh, the Groundhog come out on February 2nd, I think that you should rush up there. It is something to see. It's nothing like what you see on that excellent movie Groundhog Day. It's better. But uh, <laughs> yes, Render Broadcasting is humming along, competing against the bigger boys. It's been a great ride so far, and RBC continues to do well. I do want to pivot back to you and ask you quickly. It would have been very easy when you graduated from Syracuse to just go work for your dad. Done and done. You've got the gig. You start in sales, work your way up. But the fact that you went outside the company and went to Katz and did work there and did stuff outside, I think is a credit to you because I feel like it probably gave you a lot of perspective you wouldn't have had just going straight to work for Render Broadcasting. Yeah. And it was never really, uh, I don't know if we ever talked about it or not. I don't think that we did. I knew I wanted to work in New York in some capacity. Uh, I wanted to get outside first. I'm sure my old man liked that, but thanks, man. I appreciate that. And I got to say, I was always nervous about that at the station because, you know, I told you all this stuff that I learned as a kid, board hopping for, for years, every summer holidays, uh, knowing how stations work. I'm not sure that everybody that I worked with at Z89 even knew that stuff. I never shared it with them. I don't know why. Just it just I don't know if it was it just wasn't germane or not. I would have gladly shared it, but you know I spent a lot, a lot of time in radio stations, a lot, a lot of time knowing what when you crack the mic exactly the way it's supposed to be. But I wasn't in that world, so I didn't feel like in a weird way I didn't feel like it was my place. So I didn't know how much they knew about render broadcasting. I mean, we are not one of the biggest broadcasters out there, of course. So. I, I always dummied up about that. I figured I got to prove myself. And if, if I can get this job or if I can hold this position station on my own, that's great. I did want to blaze some trail to some degree for myself, even though I knew I wanted to work in this company. But I, I did want to do it on my own uh, merits, which is good. And New York was great. I mean, you talk about uh, getting chucked into the thresher, uh, you know, dealing with uh, New York buyers. Oh man, you know. Oh yeah. It was a whole other world, and I loved living there. In fact, I remember uh, I pitched my dad. I'm like, listen, you, your national business, your contacts are mediocre at best. I got this great idea for it because he's like, listen, it's great that you've worked out there. I think you're gonna have to come back if you want to grow in this company. Eventually, obviously, it has to be at a radio station. And I put that off because I loved living in New York, and I wanted to. And keep in mind, this is late '90s, John. This is Stupid internet time. This is, you know, pre 9-11. This was, I was having a blast. My buddies had moved down from Syracuse. It was great. Anyway, I pitched him on a job to be the group national sales manager. 
And so I was, uh, whenever there was an avail, I was, I was handling it for national. It was a great time in New York and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So yes, that's nice of you to say, I appreciate that. And that was absolutely part of the plan uh, for me at least. And that's a great place to leave it. Tony Renda, class of 1995. Thanks so much for hanging out today. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.